about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hi, my name is Melinda. The first Bible reading is from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9 is on page 208 in the Pew Bibles. Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hi everyone, I'm Nick. Uh, the second reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, it's on page 1140. 1140. Now about the collection for God's people... Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, 
See to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with you with the brothers, to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was fortunate when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied me what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father Lord, you're great beyond measure, beautiful beyond compare. Your, your love is like the wildest ocean. Father, we don't know how to live in this world without you, without your breath, without your word. And so we pray now as we look at the end of this magnificent letter that you would take your spirit and move in us that we might know how to live to glorify your name. Amen. Uh, well, if you can believe it, uh, next year the iPhone is 10 years old. Can you believe that? 10 years of the iPhone. That's something that uh, didn't exist 10 years ago, which is now ubiquitous across our planet. Such a phenomenon. Um, the iPhone is more than just a phenomenon, though. It's a symbol, really, of what our world has become. What's remarkable, I think, most for me about the iPhone is how much of the world is required to bring it into being. Get this. Uh, it's designed in California, but it's built in China by a Taiwanese company who source parts from Germany and South Korea. And in fact, one of the most important parts, that the, the chip that makes a whole bunch of stuff go, is mined by often, sadly, young children in the Congo. The iPhone is the symbol of what is an increasingly connected and globalized world, where just to bring one product into being takes millions of people across the entire planet, lifting lots out of poverty while pushing some down, like those poor African children who now have a little bit of a better deal, but not quite enough. But the possession of an iPhone itself uh, demonstrates both kind of the euphoria and the great debilitating anxiety that a globalized world can bring. 
when you hold in your hand access to Russia and Korea, when you can see things across your world in every moment, there's a sense of joy and ecstasy. And yet at the same time, this constant flood of endless tragedy and pain can be so overwhelming that it leaves us with deep anxiety about where our planet is headed, where our lives are headed, and whether we can actually do anything at all. How is it that we live in this globalized world full of ecstasy and anxiety? I think 1 Corinthians 16 helps us. Because the reality is, is that as people who believe in the Lord Jesus, we are greatly equipped for a globalized world because of the gospel. And the reason is, is because the gospel is one of the original globalizing forces in our world. Here's what Miroslav Volf says about it. The founders of world religions, including but not limited to Buddhism and Christianity, were the main sources of global messages. A universal religion is meant for everyone and should be proclaimed to everyone. World religions establish networks that connect people on the basis of shared visions of the good life across the globe. As Christians, the gospel uniquely equips us for the world that it has been sent out into. And what happens in 1 Corinthians 16 is that Paul, having talked through all these things in the letter all the way through, then kind of lifts the vision of the Corinthians above their context, above their little patch of earth, to the great gospel thing that God is doing throughout the world. Because the reality is is that all the little decisions that they need to make in the light of the Lordship of Jesus don't just count for them, but count as part of the global movement of the gospel. As when we consider that in its entirety, that we know how to live in a globalized world in ecstasy and anxiety. Four priorities for 1 Corinthians 16, for a globalized Christian living in a globalized world. That's what we're going to do tonight. And the first priority, according to Paul, and this is quite incredible that he starts here, is generosity. The first thing that you need in a globalized world is generosity. The first issue that Paul opens with here uh, is the great famine that occurred in Jerusalem in the first century. We read about this in, in Romans, we read about it in Acts, we read about it in other parts of the New Testament as well. What happened is that God's people in Jerusalem underwent a great famine that kind of devastated their economy. And what Paul did as he went around the ancient world planning churches was he encouraged them to take some of their wealth and to send it back to Jerusalem where the gospel came from and to help them in their material poverty who helped them in their spiritual poverty. And so Paul opens with instructions to the Corinthians to lift their eyes generously to the world around them. I love this chapter because I think it's the one for the spreadsheeters among us, for the budgeters, for the people who like filling out all the details on the tax return and take joy and glee in that. Maybe not the ones who haven't filled it out yet. But uh, in very fine detail, Paul describes how he thinks that the gospel requires of us this thoughtful, systematic giving to, po- to poverty, especially poor brothers and sisters. He says this, Now, about the collection for God's people, talking about 
uh, Christians in Jerusalem. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. How sensible is that? Just take a little bit of your income every week, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. And then just to make sure everything's legit, I'll write some letters in verse 3 and we can send them off to Jerusalem with them. And, you know, the people you choose, they should be approved people you can trust the coin with. And just in case in verse 4 it's not really working out, I can go with them too. Right? It's very detail-oriented. It's thoughtful. It's deep. It's systematic. It's not just a spontaneous generosity, but one that is deeply thought out as a result of the gospel. Paul goes on later uh, to, de- to describe our household in verse 15, the household of Stephanus, who were the first convert, uh, converts in Achaia. And it says that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. The word service there is the word you use to uh, often alleviate poverty. It's the deacons of the church uh, who looked after the poor. Paul holds up this household of Stephanus as a house of generosity. And says, these are the kind of leaders you should be like. This is the kind of thing that the gospel demands of us. That we give to the poor. Systematically, thoughtfully, deeply. But it's not simply the poor that he has in mind either. He also has kingdom work in mind. In verse 6 when he talks about the fact he's going to come to them. He says, I want to come to you so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. My expectation is when I come to you, you'll, you'll put me, give me some supplies so I can head off and preach the gospel somewhere else. And in verse 11, he asks the same for Timothy. No one should refuse to accept him, he says. Send him on his way in peace. The first priority for globalized Christians who lift their eyes to the great gospel work across the world is Generosity. The gospel opens our eyes to both the spiritually and materially poor across our planet. It awakens in us a longing to offer our riches to them. When describing the same thing in 2 Corinthians, talking about the same giving issue, Paul gives them this reason. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The reality of the gospel is we are all spiritually destitute. We are beggars. We have nothing. We have no way back to God. We are utterly poor. And the Lord Jesus, utterly rich and righteous, pours out his riches and becomes poor for us that we might become rich. You see, when that reality is deep in your heart, you cannot help but look at the other spiritually poor around the world and go, you're just as destitute as I was. And looking at the materially poor around the world, and say, you were just as uh, destitute as I was spiritually. And not look at the Lord Jesus and be willing to offer your riches to them on his behalf, modeling him, having his gospel awaken your heart. The first priority for globalized Christians is generosity. Thoughtful, systematic generosity. And I want you to apply this passage systematically and thoughtfully, because that's what he does, right? I think the way to do this is to pick an organization and be thoughtful about how much of your income you can give. 
Just pick one. Go for it. Uh, but the other thing here is that this actually isn't systematic giving. It's giving toward a particular project of poverty. That's interesting, isn't it? It's the first kind of crowd fundraising that happens, the first project giving we have an example of in the ancient world, exactly the same as we have today. Now, we all know that every single year, something's going to go really bad for someone in the world. And it's going to leave God's people poor and unbelievers poor. And what I do, if you want an example is I actually, in my income, work out an amount that I will give when it goes south in the world that year. Because it's always going to happen, right? And we can be systematically prepared, putting our income away for when it does happen. Because we have the heart of the Lord Jesus who planned to pour out his riches for us. Now, that gets costly, right? Because you don't know how many times the world's going to go south in a year. But thoughtful, systematic giving is required here. I think the same is true of our missionaries, uh, choosing to give to them, choosing to give their mission agencies, choosing to send missionaries on their way. Both of those are in these texts. The first thing is global genero- uh, generosity. But the second thing is also quite surprising, I think, from Paul. The second priority for globalized Christians is actually relationship. You know, Paul is a globe trotter. He can walk into a town and start a church whenever he likes, when God allows. And yet, in this passage, he talks about his want, his desire, to spend an entire winter with the Corinthians. Have a look, it's in verse 5 and following. After I go through Macedonia, I'll come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you a while or even spend the winter. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you. This absolute mess of a church that really a good church planner doesn't want to stay, keep away from as much as possible, Paul wants to winter with. Now, what makes this even more incredible is we actually know from 2 Corinthians how this visit went. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Get this. So, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Sounds like it went well, eh? <laughs> Sounds like it was a really, really great time. And you get a, a hint of that, that trouble in this text, actually. Uh, you see in verse 10, we have to tell them, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear. Guys, when Timothy comes, can you lay off him? I know you're angry at me, but can you just lay off Timothy? He really doesn't deserve you getting the backhand. And then he talks about Apollos, right? Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go, uh, go to you with the brothers, he was quite unwilling to go now. <laughs> right? Apollos was this cult figure in Corinth, and apparently he was so fed up with them that he flat out refused to go. Right? Corinth is a mess, and yet Paul is willing to winter with them, to bed down and spend some deep time laying out the things he's taught in this letter. He could keep moving on, He could not deepen it, but he chooses relationship, deep, painful relationship. In our globalized world, it's very easy to choose superficial relationship because it's never-ending. You can get as many as you like. But globalized Christians choose deep, painful friendship. 
You do get a positive example from the household of Stephanus again in chapter se- in verse 17 and 18. He talks about how Stephanus and his friends came and they refreshed Paul's spirit and the spirit of the Corinthians. He gave fresh courage to Paul. He gave fresh courage to the Corinthians to keep going in their fight. And then again, you see the example of the, of the wider church in, in, chapter, in verses 19 and 20. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly. At least, at least they do, because Apollos definitely doesn't. And all the brothers here send you greetings. Now, you've got this picture of this, this church that's looking on to Corinth. And even though Corinth is a mess, they're sending them warmth. They're sending them love. They're sending them prayers. There's this bigger picture of this great network of families, of believers across the planet who, who, don't, who aren't skeptical of one another. Who don't just question because people are different. Even when they are in a complete and utter mess, they come with warmth and regard and relationship. That's not particularly deep. That's just a greeting from afar. But it's the priority of relationship in a globalized world. How is it that you can both so deeply and perhaps painfully but also more widely relate to your brothers and sisters across this planet. That is a priority for globalized Christians. The third priority, I think, is is possibly Paul's big boot in this chapter. Because the thing that a globalized world needs most from us, actually, is for us to be steady. For us to stay the line. Paul says, 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. The the picture here is of a a watch post, of someone standing, looking out for the enemy to come. And then again, of standing uh, in the line and holding the line. He says to the Corinthians, you've got to hold the line. You've got to be steady. You've got to hold on to your faith. And that may sound to us like uh, holding on to ideas, but that's not what the book is about, right? The book is about a life that the gospel completely reshapes. Being on your guard and standing firm is about letting the grace of God change everything. Remember how in chapters kind of one and two, we talked about leadership and how the, how the cross overturns the leadership of the world and the pride about knowledge because the cross is utter emptiness and the end of knowledge and only the spirit can give you new, no, new knowledge and how there's this whole other leadership that happens as a part of that and how we need to be our brothers and sisters that hold each other accountable in, in chapter five and how in six and seven, uh, there's this whole new sexuality that's required of us. The gospel has to touch even that that our freedom in 9 and 10 isn't for us, but it's for others. That when you come to church, you don't come for yourself, but you come to love others. And that everything matters that you do in your body in the end because you'll be raised from the dead. Letting the gospel touch every part of your life is what it means to stand firm. What it means to be on your guard. And friends, that is what our globalized world needs from you. Because globalization doesn't have a vision of how things will actually flourish. It's just a producer of goods like this. 
that both lifts from poverty and sends people into poverty, but it doesn't have a vision of how the world could be. But we do. Because your workplace and your household and your set of relationships are the front line of the kingdom of the living God. And when you hold the line, you show the world what is about to happen. And that flourishing looks like the kingdom that Jesus will bring into the world. And friends, do you know what he says? You've got to be strong and you better be courageous to get going with that. Because that's not easy. He says about himself in Ephesus, I'm going to stay on in Ephesus because a great door for effective work has been opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. Hand in hand. Good gospel work and opposition. Holding your line, letting the gospel reshape all the areas that Corinthians talks about, takes courage. It takes strength. But it is what our world needs. Our world needs your vision of the good life. It needs Jesus' vision of the good life. But the last priority, and where Paul ends his book, is the reason why we need to stay firm at all. You know, Miroslav Volf, when he talks about globalization, is he says, you know, the problem with globalization is it's actually a problem about longing. For me, as a Christian, the course of world history, including the shape, direction, and significance of globalization, is ultimately decided in the contest of desires in people's hearts. You see, what the globalized world needs from you is to long for the right thing. And do you know how Paul ends? He, he ends in his own hand, and he ends with his game that he calls playing. How many times can I say Jesus in four sentences? I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, curse beyond him. Come, O Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. He says, do you know what you a globalized uh, person who's on about the gospel in all the earth is on about what they long for? It is the Lord Jesus himself. That beautiful phrase, come, O Lord. Maranatha in Aramaic, that ancient prayer of the Christian church for the coming of their Lord. You see, it's hard to know what to long for when you're saturated with media every day and you see all the problems. But friends, we don't need to long necessarily for the end of any problem, but for the coming of our Lord who will remake all of the problems in his sovereign goodness and healing resurrection power. Our globalized world needs you to long for the coming of the Lord Jesus. How does that happen? Paul tells you. Love the Lord. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. You see, it's all, that's where it all is. If you love Jesus, not just acknowledge him, not just think about him, not just talk about him, but love him. That is the whole game. And it's when we love Jesus, when we adore who he is, when we exalt in who he is, when we praise who he is, when we love him, that just like someone we love in this world, we begin to long for his presence. 
begin to long for him to come. Friends, our world needs the people of God to love and long for his coming. And as we wait to generously deal with the problems of the world, to dig deep in relationship and remain steady, that the world might take notice and join us before the Lord comes. Let's pray. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.